As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast on the Athletic Bill Landis, joined as always by Ari Wasserman. And Ari, it's game week. Yeah, I know. Uh. <laughs> it's like I, I woke up. I got the email from from Jerry Emming, the uh, sports information director for Ohio State, on Sunday night that said like Ohio State media opportunities for game week versus Nebraska. I was like holy shit! Yeah, it's here. <laughs> yeah, I also got an email for a Halloween party right next to it. So it's kind of a weird nice. dynamic. But like, what are you dressing uh, up as? Um, Urban Meyer. <laughs> <laughs> Urban Meyer football coach or post retirement Urban Meyer, where he's. Cooling at his restaurant, drinking a nice glass of Chardonnay. I think what I have to do to prepare for it is to go out to South Florida, lay out in the sun for about five days, get a nice crisp tan, and show up with a Tommy Bahama shirt on. There you go. Um, Vacation, Urban. No, I think I might do Joe Exotic. We got some things that are, you know are in <laughs> that the. That would be hilarious. <laughs> we got some things in the uh, in the pipeline we're working on, and uh, my girlfriend's very crafty, so I think she can help me out with some of this stuff. So. Uh, but is it that is going to be – while I'm, well, I'm in State College, PA, covering Ohio State, Penn State, you're going to be somewhere in Texas dressed as Joe Exotic? <laughs> yeah. No, well, hopefully the party will go into Oklahoma where, where it was meant to be. But, you know. Um, yeah, man. New life. Who's this? Um, it's just kind of a weird, weird dynamic of, like, it's all Halloween. You've got pumpkins all over our house. And it's also the opening week. So it's been a long road to get here. 
Um, but I'm really happy that we're here. I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy that all the listeners are here. Um, I know it's been a tough six months for everyone, and hopefully at least for the, the two or three hours that Ohio State's beating Nebraska by more than 26 on Saturday, um, <laughs> everybody can kind of just forget about how crappy the last few months were and just kind of soak into the thing that they love the most because that's what I'm going to do. Uh, we will get into that that spread. The opening spread for Ohio State and Nebraska uh, smells a little fishy to Ari. We'll talk about that uh, just in a minute here. We'll also talk about the, the weekend that wasn't college football. Again, I just think as, as we watch these games without Ohio State playing, we kind of learn a little more or gain a little more insight on where exactly Ohio State might stand in the national pecking order. And certainly after Alabama beats Georgia, um, you, you learn even more in, in that regard. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll each give our list of the 10 most important players for Ohio State's 2020 season. And I think you and I took a little bit of a different approach to that. So it should uh, yield some interesting results. But first, let's talk about that funky spread. Ohio State, Nebraska, noon, on Saturday, kickoff uh, on Fox. It opened at – last week it was 21, but that was like a fake 21. That was like that email. It was never going to be 21. Like, it was never going to reach the board where people can put money on it Right, and then on uh, on Sunday I saw 23 or 23 and a half, and then I just looked again on Monday morning and I saw 25. So what are you seeing at the moment? It's 27 it's for me. So um, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to eclipse four touchdowns. Um, and, you know, I don't know – if it's just been a long summer, a long winter, long fall, but I think every single year we do this, man, and we try to like build Nebraska up into something that they're not, and even if they are moderately improving, um, what Ohio State has to do uh, this year with a short season, the team that Ohio State brings back, the fact that it's home, the fact that it's the first we get, they're going to beat them like by 50, right? I mean, are we going to like convince ourselves that Nebraska's really good, or are we just going to admit that they're Purdue with red on I mean I I don't know yeah I don't know what people think about this matchup but the reason why the spread is moving so quickly is because it's wrong and my friend uh all day every day up in the northeast has DraftKings got it at 23 on Sunday and it's just like I am asking him what he's gonna buy with the money that they're giving away and I'm not trying to be so do people think that Nebraska is gonna come in and play a close game no but like if Ohio State wins 48 to 20 that covers but not but not at the rate that you're talking about it if it's going to go up to 31 or whatever you're saying i don't know my i'm not going to give my pick for the game i just like what's your actual gut feeling about how it's going to go though like what is that number when you see that number what did it make you feel um i thought initially that it was a little close and then i thought about it some more and like i don't think ohio state's going to sweat on on saturday but i could see like 45 20 uh 41 17 something like that and then you're getting into the area where like nebraska backdoors it and and i think that's possible it doesn't mean i don't really think it means nebraska is any better than we thought they'd be coming into the year that ohio state's worse like we thought ohio state last year would pummel would they play florida atlantic in that opener and it was like 35 to nothing before you could blink and then the final score was like 45 to 13 or something like that right like they kind of took, yeah. the, took the foot off yeah. the gas a little bit and just like I mean, slowed down after they came out gangbusters at the start. Like I think that's possible. I think you could take any single game you ever want to play and do that and play this game. And you know, I know it's true. You know, if if you think that, um, you know, there's a chance that Nebraska could backdoor, then yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a chance they could backdoor. But do we think this is one of the greatest offenses in the history of Ohio State football? Yes or no? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Do we think that Nebraska isn't equipped in any way to cover? Uh, to, to cover anybody or stop them 
in any way? Uh, no. So how many points do you think Ohio State's going to score? Like because I don't think forty one is enough. <laughs> I think I they're going to score, score in the like forty eight. Yeah, I think you have to allow for a weird off season, weird start to the season. I do think Ohio. Uh, somebody's asking me the other day, like, do you think Ohio State's going to be like in in um what what was whatever word they use to describe it Death Star mode <laughs> from from the start of the season? Um, and I think. Like probably yes, and if that's the case, then I could see them putting up fifty, sixty in, in the first game. It's just been such a weird off season, and they have like some young guys at receiver. They get some new pieces on the offensive line. Justin Fields is awesome, and maybe that's all that matters. But I think there's enough moving parts that maybe they score forty eight instead of fifty seven. Yeah, I think if they score forty eight, they'll cover. Yeah. Yeah, I think L- they listen, could. Listen, listen. If it comes out and it's one of those weird Corona games where they're losing <laughs> ten to three at halftime or something, or they're scored fourteen points in the first half and Justin Fields throws a pick and they fumble it and there's a it's botched punt return or whatever. I mean, there's things that happen. Like I get it, and nobody can guarantee whatsoever how Ohio State's going to react to it. But based on the off season that Ohio State has had, the way they reacted to the potential of their season being canceled. Players opting out, players opting back in. The way Ryan Day passionately spoke out against um, the way things were going. Um, my personal opinion, just based on the talent gap, is that it's huge. <laughs> and that's a fact, not an opinion. Um, and I'm going to give Ohio State my confidence in that they're not going to play a dog shit game like that. And if they come out and play 85% of what they're capable of, which I still think is a lower percentage than what people would expect, I think they're going to run them off the field. And I, I just like... Yeah. And initially speaking, and this is what when I texted you yesterday, 23, I was like, wow, 23. And you're seeing that that gut reaction is being is, – is having an impact on the spread now. It's up to 27. It's probably going to be somewhere in the 30s by the time Saturday comes. But if you got it at 23 especially, you know, there's a big difference between 23 and 26. You know, the 24-point margin is kind of like a, a line in the sand there for, you know, the way football is scored. But – you know, I think Ohio State's going to put up 28, 35 points in the first half. Like, I, I don't have any doubt in my mind right now as I sit here on Monday, October 19th, that Ohio State's going to roll them. If it stays kind of where it is now, 27-ish, I think I'd pick Ohio State. If it gets a little higher than that, I'd, I'd hesitate. That's a lot of points. And we're not talking about Rutgers. We're not talking about Rutgers. It is a lot of points, you know. It is a lot of points, but I also think, too, that we always talk about Nebraska in this way, and I think they, they played one close game in the 2018 at Ohio State. It was kind of a weird – Adrian Martinez, freshman year. Yeah, 2018, it was uh, – I think Ohio State won by a touchdown. And that was like Ohio State's worst year ever. Um, De- defense was yeah. poo-poo. And every other year, Ohio State's won by 40 or more, I think, haven't they? Yes. It's something margin, like that. Yeah, the margin of victory has been like like 30 points, I think, in every other And year. I think Ohio I State is, is more prone to being closer to the results of that – the only thing I can't speak for is how much better Nebraska is than those teams that we're talking about. And the way Mitch Sherman, our guest last week, uh, talked about it, he he said that they're marginally better, but I didn't get a sense from him that they're expecting some sort of renaissance out of this team. Mm-hmm. And, and until Nebraska shows that they are something other than a lower-tier Big Ten West team, I don't know why anybody would think that Ohio State, who supposedly has one of the best offenses in the history of the program and potentially the country um, – is going to be able to get stopped by that team who I believe is 
Indiana with with different uniforms. I mean, it's all they are. Anyway. Well, if you want to talk about Indiana, twenty seven points said, spread, we, can, <laughs> we, can, we can do that. Um, I have to do this thing uh, when we're done with this podcast for the athletic. Just kind of to tease. We're doing. Are you part of this too? Where you're picking? Yeah, the Big I did Ten. mine last night. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, uh, dark horse uh, team to win the Big Ten, uh, Indiana. <laughs> I had Indiana, but then Indiana was eight and five. Like, is Indiana a sleeper if they were eight and five last year? I don't know if you want to go uh, through more lines. We have to get to other parts of this podcast, and I think the Georgia stuff is maybe more interesting um, that we're about to get to. But Indiana is catching less than a touchdown at home against Penn State this weekend. And I thought I of you. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Penn State's going to start 0-2. It's going to be a tough times in State College, PA. You should drive out to, to Pennsylvania on Friday night or whatever when you have some free time and put a few bets in on the DraftKings app and then, <laughs> the and then come on back. <laughs> Try over to, uh, what, Triadelphia? <laughs> what is the that's – West, That's West Virginia. No, uh, what's the um, city right on the border um, of uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania that you drive where the outlets are? Or the, oh, you know where that Cabela's is? What? Yeah, Washington, Pennsylvania. Go over yeah. there, stop off at that Sheets right off the highway, put a few bets in, get yourself a little uh, hoagie for the road and head on back. I, I can think of a worse way to spend a Friday evening. Yeah, that actually um, sounds really nice. But, yeah, I, um, I, I'm very confident that Ohio State's going to play well, and I think this is a nice transition, Bill, to just kind of what we were talking about a little bit about watching the Georgia game. And I don't want to relitigate whether or not Justin Fields – should be on Georgia's roster. I think everybody knows that. I think that Kirby Smart made a huge mistake by not taking by not choosing the the athlete that he is, somebody that gets Georgia over the hump. And everybody who has a brain, not a brain, anybody who has eyes and watched the Georgia game uh, knew that they would be better with Justin Fields and made that observation, including myself. And it was it was to the point where it's an obvious observation. But it made me kind of take a step further and think: in today's college football, do you have to have a talent? Um, a talented quarterback and an offense that produces at a certain level in order to win. And our good defense is neutralized by good offenses because Georgia had one of the best defenses or has one of the best defenses in college football, and they just gave up 41. And all the discussion that we've had about the, the uncertainty that we have about Ohio State on the defensive side of the football, um, it made me think, well, even if those um, questions exist, Alabama's of the world are still going to put up 41, and Ohio State has this offense. And this, without this offense or without Justin Fields, they'd have no chance. But now Ohio State still is in a position where they could be um, functional in a shootout performance. So I'm wondering, are we putting too much stock into the defensive um, questions that we've had? And do you think that it's um, reasonable to say that defensive worries aren't necessarily as much of a concern because Alabama's and Clemson's are going to score on them anyway. Yeah, probably. Um, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I think you want to, you want to be able to limit big plays, right? I don't, I don't think you have to be Georgia legitimately like coming into that game and it might play out this way the rest of the year. Like one of the best defenses we've seen in like a decade, like they're awesome. They got five star talent all over the place. Kirby smarts, a good defensive coach. And like, it didn't matter. Because Mac Jones was just tossing it deep to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell and John Mechie, and like it was over. Like they just they couldn't hang with them. Um, so I, I think when you once you get to that stage, yeah, and there's nobody in the Big Ten I think that's really going to threaten Ohio State in any kind of way. I think you have to analyze Ohio State and its ability to limit big plays throughout the course of the Big Ten season because if you can't do it then, then you know look out when you get to the playoff. It's not going to end well for you, and that was their issue in 2018. Um, just giving up big play after big play after big play, and then last year they didn't give up a ton. So I don't think they have to be – it'd be great if they're, you know, 
if they look anything like they looked last year. But as long as the structure sound and, and the players stepping up in the in the spots look like they're not out of place and they cannot get two or three 30-yard plays dumped on them every game through the course of the Big Ten season, then I think you feel confident enough going into the playoff because you just sort of have to show up and hope you can make a bit, make a play, get a turnover, whatever. You're not going to shut anybody down. And then it's all about your offense and whether or not that offense can score 40 points to keep up with the likes of Clemson and Alabama. And, like, I think they can. So um, I wasn't watching Alabama on Sunday. I was watching Alabama on Sunday, and I was impressed because I didn't think they'd do that to Georgia. But I also wasn't thinking to myself, like, oh, Ohio State can't keep up with that. I think they can. I, w- I watched the game thinking that, A, Ohio State must be very happy that they have Justin Fields. <laughs> and, and, B, that if Ohio State has um, the opportunity up until um, – you know the following or the end of the season to get to the playoff get this defense in check and you know try to just if the if the goal is to contain Alabama to 38 41 points then this team is capable of doing that um and I think that Ohio State is more capable than Georgia to win a national championship this year because they're a more complete team they might not be quite as talented as Georgia which is a crazy thing to say but it's true but I do think that the com- combination of experience the dynamic play that they have a quarterback and um frankly the schedule to ease into some of these things I think Ohio State's very primed to to play on the same uh, field as Alabama and I know that like we all are probably talking about just the idea that um, you know it was going to be a a rematch in the SEC but I thought that there was one team that was clearly better than the other in that scenario and right now Alabama seems to seems to be like like it always is right Alabama Clemson and Ohio State and I'm very curious to see what Ohio State looks like as soon as the season starts um and put them into a position to see whether or not they stack up with those two teams. But in terms of what I think Ohio State is and what I've seen from Clemson and Alabama, I think that it's those three teams and everybody else, once again, in the, in the college football playoff uh, picture. What about uh, BYU and Coastal Carolina? Coastal Carolina's offense is amazing. I uh, love it. You know, I, I uh, I'll give you that. I, I know that you watched that game and you were like levitating above your couch. But um, you know, BYU's a very fun team to watch too. Um, so, yeah, if you want to add the make it a five-team playoff and just go from there, then that's fine with me. I'm just wondering what you think the spread will be when top-seeded Ohio State plays number four seed BYU in the playoff. Ohio State minus 23. <laughs> that's a crazy line. <laughs> do you think we do what, this every year with BYU. We do this every single year with BYU. <laughs> what do you think the line would actually be? Yeah, probably like 20. If they got to that point, like if BYU is undefeated and they have beaten Boise State, which is the only good team they play for the most part, um, like 20. I think Ohio State would be favored by like 28. Yeah, maybe. Ohio State's also not going to be the number one seed in the playoffs, so it doesn't matter. It'd be Clemson. Clemson, who just put 73 on Georgia Tech, would get to play BYU. Clemson was also uh, favored by 26, I think. so. <laughs> they were favored by 26 in that game? What was it, 73-7? <laughs> yeah. Did you see Clemson pulled pulled uh, Trevor Lawrence out of the game with 404 passing yards, which is the area code in Georgia in Atlanta that Georgia Tech like puts on all that shit? Did they do that on purpose? You think? Uh, I don't think they did it on purpose, but they realized it after the fact and then tweeted about it. Would you, um, if you were a coach, would you do bullshit like that? I would. Yes, and I feel like the pettiness has been ratcheted up a little bit on college football Twitter this year, which I very much enjoy. And it's coming from the team accounts. So yeah, it's like Arkansas, that, Arkansas Lane Train one. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and the thing too is like everybody makes fun of Tom Herman for the doing that like horns thing, you know, on his chest. You, I don't remember what was it a bowl game? Yeah, he was making fun of Drew Locke. Yeah, like this thing. Like I, yeah. I, who cares? I would have done that. You're, I mean, you're a coach a, making fun of a player is like 
grow up <laughs> i don't know i uh i feel like if i were in the game and things are going well and i i don't know i would act like a jackass too i think i mean that's part of the fun of the sport i don't get offended by stuff like that i'm not offended by it i just think that uh Drew Locke should get a fair one with Tom Herman if Tom Herman's going to make fun of him. I think the worst thing that ever happened to the sport is penalizing celebrations. Mm-hmm. Like you I would have I, the best celebrations on Ohio State's roster. If you were allowed to dance and do whatever the hell you wanted after you scored a touchdown. Demario McCall. Yeah, that's the first guy I thought of, too. <laughs> would, he have a, would he have a motorbike waiting in the tunnel to go ride <laughs> down the ramp after he scored a touchdown? Could you imagine if they allowed props to come back in, like T.O. with that Sharpie in his sock i mean come on it's so justin fields is a really good dancer i think he could do some fun stuff you see what aaron Rodgers did on sunday that little yeah. like what was that yeah. all about <laughs> that he threw like a pick six right after <laughs> yeah, i feel like that's what i would like i would do that celebration that's the uh that's the danger with it that's like the guys chucking up the deuce like tyreek hill when they're running in they get tripped up from behind paris campbell used to do that but he never got caught i think that is the coolest thing a fast person can do as you're running, slow down because you burned everybody and just put up the small piece, the re- peace sign, nothing, and that's it. Yeah. And then act normal after that. Just peace. <laughs> Paris Campbell is like breaking down into a slow jog while still separating from defenders. And yeah. <laughs> throwing up the peace sign as he crosses the goal line. Yeah, and then walks into the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that the, there's a lot of very cool personalities on Ohio State's roster. And I think people realize this, but they don't get to be themselves with us as much as they probably would like to just for the safety of the program they you know they college college kids this isn't unique to ohio state this is a college football thing but college football kids um in general aren't really allowed or feeling 100 percent comfortable speaking their mind about topics that we ask about um, because they're coached and, and taught how to deal with the media um, and then two, the rules of the game don't allow them to show them their personalities during the game. And then three, on on social media, they have to be afraid of uh, how they act because they don't want to get in trouble, and they also don't want to get uh, in trouble with the NCAA if they're interacting with people that um, they could stand to profit off of. So hopefully, in the next five years, all those things will be different once they become adults. And they are adults, but once they become adults, who are allowed to make money? I'm hoping that there could be a little bit more personality into it. I don't know about you, Bill. I've ranted about this all the time, but I wish sports today were like they were in 1975 or 1985 or 1995. Like the shit these guys used to talk. Like why why are people so afraid to talk crap before a game to the media? It's just a, it's a sport. You should think that you're going to win. You should be able to say that you think you're going to win. And like the cool media moments that I used to see or have seen on YouTube just don't exist anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> the access is different too. Like, there's not uh, we can't go into locker rooms and stuff. But I think that's part of it. But yeah, it's just it's just coaching. No one wants to say anything that gets put on the bulletin board, even though for us it's wildly entertaining. Yeah, and should be wildly think, entertaining for them. Do you think uh, name, image, and likeness will get to a point where like C.J. Stroud scores a touchdown and then like goes under the goalpost and like pulls out a Roosters T-shirt and puts it on and starts dancing around in the end zone? I hope so, for their sake. <laughs> or something bigger than Roosters. Yeah, it might not be Roosters, but, you know, it could be Ford, a Nike <laughs> or something, and you just point at the check on your cleat, or I don't know. Yeah. I want to live in that world. Yeah, I do too. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's a point um, about, I don't know how we got on that tangent. There's a point from the Alabama-Georgia game that I think kind of dovetails into some of the decisions that I made with my top 10 player list for the top 10 most important players on Ohio State's roster. I have my list, you have your list. We'll get to it in a second before we do that. I want to remind everybody to please uh, subscribe, rate, and review on Apple. That helps us a lot. Leave a five-star review. If you leave a five-star review with a question, we'll answer it in a, in a mailbag episode. And also... You can subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash 4-6. Still get you uh, $1 per month on an annual subscription. You can read our coverage this week heading into the Ohio State opener. Uh, Mitch Sherman, who was on our podcast last week, if you want to learn a little bit more about Nebraska, theathletic.com slash 4-6. $1 per month. You can go get Here a four-piece nugget and a subscription to That's our right. app for $2 for a whole month. We Ma- should partner with Wendy's. Because Wendy's has like that pick four. Yeah, yeah do pick five so and there's add a subscription on the end of it. Right, right. You get, yeah. a, you get a Frosty, a Nug, a Fry, a double bacon cheeseburger, and a subscription to The Athletic for $5. We should yeah. write that down. <laughs> They'd probably do that. <laughs> I think a lot of people would. Don't you think that the company would do that? I know that the uh, the high, all the higher ups of the company listen to this podcast, so they heard that idea. They're running with it. I mean, I think they would actually do it though. If every single person who went through Wendy's, I mean, that'd be amazing. Uh, There's Bill, we noticed that you got uh, 17 subscriptions to the Athletic this month. <laughs> Does that mean you're driving through the Wendy's drive-through 17 times? Yeah. Well, if it's actually one dollar a month, it would make perfect sense. So, if you are not subscribed to the Athletic, a dollar a month, let's go. What are you waiting for? Um, also, we do our mailbag podcast every Thursday for Friday during the season, and we do answer questions off of five-star reviews on Apple. So I just wanted to throw that in there, too. We look at them. We enjoy them. We like your jokes, and it means a lot to us because it helps other people find our podcast, and it helps uh, the company think that it's still worth doing. So if you like listening to this and you haven't done it yet, please just save the podcast long-term. The more reviews you get, uh, the more likely uh, we'll continue to get to do this. And Ari will give you money from his wallet. From my if wallet. You leave a five-star review. <laughs> Somebody left a review, Bill. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> Landis told me, me you'd give me money, Ari. Where's my money, man? <laughs> Checks in the mail. Just send them DM I your address. I sent it USPS in March, so it should get there anytime now. <laughs> It'll show up with your ballot. Yeah. Um, top 10 players for Ohio State's 2020 season. Now, here, I did this. Like, I don't have Justin Fields on my list. I did this, like... There are some guys on here that are like big names, but I did I didn't do just ten best players. I did ten guys who I think have to have good seasons for Ohio State to ultimately achieve its goal of winning a national championship. And like Justin Fields is a layup, so I didn't put him on the list. Like Sean Wade's not on here. 
Wyatt Davis isn't on mine. There might be on yours. I think that's okay if we approach it differently. But how did, how did you look at this list? See, my list isn't going to make sense because I did both. Mine, like, one might be somebody who isn't even a starter, and then the next might be Wyatt Davis. And I just kind of put it together. And I, because I wasn't quite sure how to do it, but I just also felt like weird, like, if we're going to rank the 10 most important players, that those guys had to be on the list. So, um, as we go, I will explain what I think. And it might not be completely uniform, but I think the entire point of this is to discuss the team from a different type of perspective as they head into their first game week. And I think we'll be able to accomplish that through my list. How many of the freshman receivers made your top 10? Zero. Yeah, me too. All right. Look at us maturing. Who, who thought we'd be here? Not me. <laughs> not me. All right. Uh, we'll start from 10. We'll work our way to one. You go first. Number 10 on your list. CJ Stroud. That's a good one. I didn't. I thought about putting a backup QB on there. I didn't do it. But I, I thought that it. if the name of the list or the reason we made the list is how they're going to win games, putting the backup quarterback or one of the backup quarterbacks who hasn't even won the backup job would be kind of a weird place to put him. But I thought that putting him at 10 would be a good place to just at least explain why I think that that's an important thing. One, of course, the development of the backup quarterbacks, uh, both him and Jack Miller, are of utmost importance as a Ohio State not only tries to win a national title this year, but also set up the program for the next three or four years to continue to do so. Um, but also, too, I think that the, you could make the argument, and I think you might agree with this, Bill, that Ohio State lost uh, the national championship last year or lost on the way to the national championship this year because Justin Fields was not 100%. And I don't know if he would have been 100% if Ohio State let him sit for a week or two after the Penn State injury and might have been able to like get uh, a little bit healthier or maybe it just was an injury that he had to play through no matter what. I don't know well, they played. Doctor. It was the 11th game of the year they had Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. Oh, yeah, after. yeah, 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 my bad. Yeah, man, I forgot. But I get and that's saying. rough. That's really rough, man. <laughs> I mean, when you try to put in perspective like how Ohio State's season ended last year, it's kind of just – it's like things that nightmares are made of. But my point doesn't change, right? The point is that if you have a backup quarterback who can help save Ohio State's season um, or be put in a position where he can help Justin Fields stay healthier long-term – Obviously, that's an important thing. And I don't know who's going to win the C.J. Stroud-Jack Miller battle. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to kind of see develop. But two things. One, something terrible could happen, and Ohio State could be without a starting quarterback. So then all, all of a sudden, your backup quarterback, who I put at number 10 on this list, becomes number one. Um, or two, you have somebody who can help spell him earlier in games, somebody who can keep him fresh long-term, and somebody who you can rely on um, – in both facets of that. So CJ Stroud has to be on the list, even if he's not going to be somebody who plays, um, or at least I don't think is going to be somebody who plays crucial minutes. Um, I still think that it's an important representative to have as we kind of talk about this. This makes me think our lists are going to be vastly different, which is good because we should hit a yeah, couple different, good. a lot of different players. Um, number 10 for me, and I'm already regretting, I feel like I should have put him a little higher is Tommy Togi. Um, yeah. I mean, the, <sighs> The, the, we talked about it was it two episodes ago about how kind of precarious the defensive tackle position is now. I just think interior pass rush for Ohio State has been such an underrated part of their success, like basically since Larry Johnson has been here. And the ends, the Boses and Chase Young, get a lot of deserved credit and a lot of, de, of the deserved headlines. And, and the 
success of the interior pass rushers is probably largely built on what they've had at end and the attention that those guys draw but the ability to just line someone up in the middle and like get in the quarterback's face immediately and then have someone like Devon Hamilton emerge last year and I think he had eight sacks last year um, that kind of came out of nowhere but they always seem to have a guy like that and in a year where we don't really know what Haskell Garrett is going to be able to do and Teron Vincent might play but maybe it takes him some time to come back and then the only other kind of I don't know, like recruiting stud anyway, is, is kind of Togiai in that group who played a lot last year, who was more of like a, I think a nose or a one technique in, ideally, but he might have to be the guy who gives them that interior pass rush, especially early on. And maybe it doesn't matter much against um, Nebraska, as we said before, maybe they're just not talented enough to get there, but Penn State might be talented enough, probably is talented enough to give Ohio State's defense some problems. And if there's not someone getting in Sean Clifford's face, um, you know, every couple snaps from the interior, like like a Devon Hamilton was able to do last year, or Draymond Jones before him, I think that can be present some issues for Ohio State's defense. So, I put Togi at ten, and and maybe based off what I said, I should have had him a little higher. So, when you have somebody, or just for how we should do the podcast, do you think it makes sense for me to tell you where I put that person, or just to leave it? No, if we have overlaps, tell me tell me where you had him. Two. Yeah, I mean, I had him. Um, and I didn't leave Justin Fields off my list. So um, just based on the the fact that we we agreed during our position previews that the interior defensive line is the biggest um, question mark, I think that Togiai, who is the guy that's supposed to be the um, person that can be relied on, has to have a good year. Because if he doesn't have a good year or doesn't have the year that we anticipate that he has, then that then what do you think of that position? Then you're then your confidence level in that position group goes from a six or a seven to a two. Yep. Um, and I don't like know how or if you ranked Teron Vincent on your list because there's some injury concerns there and we're not sure exactly like what his availability is. He did not make my list for that reason. But Same. if we are putting him on that list, he might be on my list as well. Uh, I think that shoring yeah. up the interior defensive line and everything you just said for those reasons is important. And I'm actually kind of surprised that Togi, I didn't, didn't move up a little bit higher on your list. I think I initially intended to put Teron Vincent higher, and then I I don't think I made a conscious decision to not do that. I think I just forgot. <laughs> so I was going to put Teron Vincent on here fairly high. I ended up not doing it. But but the idea is the same. Like, I think it's of the of – the, I don't know. I hate storylines because it's a dumb word. But, but those kind of things for this season, um, interior defensive line and what they're able to get out of that position and the health of it is is pretty high up on the list of concerns. Might, it might legitimately be number one for me. Yeah. Um, so – Togiai belongs in the list for sure. Defensive tackle, if we want to just label more broadly, belongs in the list. And I think you're closer to where it should be ranked than I am. Yeah. Having it. Having it and, like, if we average them together, I mean, I, it's, like, funny because we could have two and ten, and I don't think we disagree on anything. So it's yeah. just kind of a nice way to, to kind of get to where we're going here. So you want me to, to reveal number nine now? Yeah. Uh, Garrett Wilson is my number nine. And I don't know where he's going to end up on your list, but I figured um, he is kind of – the wild card in the in the receiver room in terms of like how much not if he's going to break out but how much and I think Ohio State with the receiver depth that it has um, isn't necessarily counting on him to do that the way they would be with the defensive line position with Tommy Togiai because they have other options if he doesn't which is why Wilson who might be one of the best players on the team is so low on my list but I think if he turns into a dynamic receiving option along Olave and he becomes that future first-round pick-ish type player that we think he can be, 
then that takes Ohio State from a elite football team to maybe the favorite to win the national championship. I think it's just that one piece. And we will talk about more elements to the offense as we continue up on this list. But in terms of a luxury pick, who I believe had to be on this list at number nine, Wilson fit the bill at that position. I have a different receiver at nine, but I have Wilson at three. Okay. Um, and I, I agree with everything you said. I, I think he's the most complete guy they've had in that position since like the H slash slot became a featured part of the offense. And the leading receiver for the team has been been in that spot for the last three years, I think. Um, Campbell and uh, KJ Hill. And those guys are really good. They're very different. And I think Wilson brings like some kind of combination of, of some of their best attributes. He's not quite, he's not as fast as Paris because Paris can fly. But um, I also think he might be a better route runner than those guys. Is stronger at the point of catch. His super long arms, really strong hands. Just a more dynamic overall receiver, I think, than than the two guys who who preceded him at that position. And if he's as good as I think he's going to be, I just think that unlocks a little something different for this offense than maybe we've seen in, in the past. Because it's not. You can toss him a jet sweep, and I think Garrett Wilson's the kind of guy who can do something with that. But catching a ball over the middle, run after the catch, contested catches, tight window kind of stuff, um, I just think he opens up a little more. If if Justin Fields, too, I think has to be willing to throw the ball in those areas and put him in those positions, and that's not something he always did last year, but I think he will do that this year. And I think Garrett Wilson's going to have a monster season. And, and I think you know he's, he's not – He's on the outside of like that conversation, I think, right now of, of guys who are either best in the country or like on on the cusp of being best in the country. But I think by the end of the year, there's going to be a lot of people talking about Garrett Wilson. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think it's like the rankings are different, but the thought process is the same. So I feel good about that. Um, number eight for me. No, my number nine, man. Oh. Come on now. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Go ahead. You're number nine, Dollaby. Juice Man, Jamison Williams. And... I wrote about him two weeks ago, I believe, on on a Sunday. And similar kind of deal with with Garrett Wilson in terms of just providing something a little different for the offense. Um, And Ohio State last year, two years ago with Paris Campbell, 2018 when they had Dwayne Haskins, I think Ohio State was number two in the country in yards after the catch, and then last year was number 82. And that's not only personnel-driven. It's sort of what throws Justin Fields is comfortable with and and kind of a different look that the passing offense took on. Um, but I think we see an uptick in yards after the catch this year, and we see that because of someone like Jamison Williams, who who can take the top off of the defense, and Chris Olave can do that too. But I also think that Jamison Williams is just so explosive that you can throw him like a ten yard dig, and he can get that get that ball over the middle, keep going, cut it up field, and score. Um, kind of like similar to how to use like Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin in, in, in 2018. And that was um, Dixon. It was more like that, which was a nice little tool they had there. Yeah, so a little more explosiveness, uh, a little more dangerous, I think, the passing game becomes with, with a guy like Jamison Williams in the mix. Uh, I still think he'll be the third receiver, and there'll probably be a, a nice gap between Olave and Wilson and then him. But every time he touches the ball, Jamison Williams, um, I think it's going to be appointment viewing because he's that explosive. Yeah, um, I love that. Did you say anything about the return game? No, like I okay. want him to be the kick returner, but... <laughs> I asked I asked Matt Barnes last week like who are who are your returners and he listed six or seven guys and Jamison Williams wasn't one of them and I don't know if that means like he was being coy and didn't want to say it and that's who it'll be or if they're just looking at other guys because they're looking at other guys um, but I would love to see Jamison Williams get a, get a shot at kick returner yeah I, I had a feeling he was going to be on your list he did not make my list um, but 
I hope that he becomes everything that I hope he could be because that'll oh, be big, really fun. Big to time watch. Juice Man fan. Uh, number eight for me is Tyreek Smith, um, and I think that like this is going to be kind of a defensive line heavy list for me because it's just an important aspect of the team. And um, when you lose Chase Young, I think you need to find somebody. And I think that we both agreed that we think that Tyreek Smith has a chance to be the sack leader on this team. But I also feel like based on all the other options that they have, maybe between Baron Browning being an edge rusher and all the things that, um, you know, might come into play with him and the fact that Zach Harrison is still a human on this team. (laughs) I don't know how much they actually need Smith to break out, but I do think that like his inclusion on this list is important because there's a really big chance that he could be a breakout player this year if he can get past some of the injury issues that have slowed him down. And I know it might seem kind of low to have him at eight, but there are so many important positions and so many important players um, as we move forward uh, on this list. That's just kind of how the way it broke down for me, but I do think that he's an integral part. And actually, top eight player on the team is still pretty high. So, yeah. you know, in terms of the importance of, of their performance and their production. So, you know, I'm very curious to see. I think we've seen flashes of Smith doing some great things, but he's just been too hampered by injuries to really come into his own. Um, apparently, he's bulked up and he's healthy for the first time, really, in, in his entire college career. And, you know, maybe this is the the platform, the stage that he needs to really excel and get to that 10-sack plateau. I think it's possible that he can get there. Yeah, I think we're, we're on the same page here. I had Smith uh, seventh, so one spot ahead of where you had him. Okay. And all, all the things you say I agree with, and I also think when we talk about what maybe they'll be able to get in terms of interior pass rushing that Tyreek Smith could be a candidate to kick inside Tyler Smith or Tyreek Smith or Tyler Friday I think could be two guys we see line up inside whether that's in a rushman package like we've seen in the past or, or even on you know more kind of standard downs first and second down running situations um, if, we, if they wanted to put Tyreek or Tyler Friday in there I think either one of those guys could, could hold up fairly well as, as the three technique interior pass rusher so Tyreek's important um, especially early while they're waiting for Haskell Garrett and and Teron Vincent and, and what uh, might play out with those two guys. Yeah, eight, I love that. Eight for me. Eight for me was Thayer Munford. Um, Man, that's a little mostly, low for me too. There. It's not. I think I have him at eight because I think he's a really good player. It's not really about his talent. It's just sort of about his health. And if I thought there were questions about his talent, maybe I'd have him higher. Like there'd be more urgency for him to have kind of a breakout season. But I just think if he's – like back issues that he had last year, that's such a hard thing for an offensive tackle to deal with. And and if those are behind him and if the time off helped him with that, um, then I still think he's going to be a good player. I think he's like borderline All-American caliber tackle. Um, so I just, I just want to see sort of throughout the year kind of how his back holds up and if he's able to play in every game and, and play all the first-team snaps. Um, and even if he's not – you know, they still have pretty good tackle depth with Dewan Jones and, and you like Paris Johnson, even though he's a freshman. So if the depth wasn't as good and it wasn't only a question of it was more than just a question of health, I'd have him a little higher on this list, I think. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, Thayer was three for me. Um, and I just think that having a solid left tackle... Uh, reaches potential of what how good we know he is is an important part and the reason why he's so high on my list and is represented on this list maybe more so than um, other returning veterans that we know we what we can get from them is the fact that his injuries is uh, is putting him in a position where we're uncertain about what he can contribute so if Munford can come back get past those injuries his back issues um, put in the past after maybe getting some relaxation time and some rest time over the summer no spring football no more strain and they can get back to the Thayer Munford that we know exists, then you put him at three, and it's a very important place for him to be. So I, I just I, I think that he's – there's going to be multiple players on my list on the offensive line, and he's the highest-ranked offensive lineman on my list for that very reason, especially because he plays the most important offensive line position, in my opinion. You'll be shocked to hear that I have another offensive lineman ranked higher. I think I know who it is. Okay, so is it for me for number seven now? Yeah. Harry Miller. Um, I think that... Didn't you, didn't you just say that Thayer Munford was your highest-ranked offensive lineman? Yeah, I just said he's number three on my list. Oh, right. I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. I'm sorry. I got confused because he was eight on mine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no. I, I have other offensive linemen on my list. He yeah. just is the highest one because I think that if you get the version of what we think he can be on this team, that that would be an instrumental part of this offensive success. Got it. Um. I know you can go with Petit Freire and even Josh Meyer. I mean, you could pick any of the offensive linemen on, on Ohio State's list, and you could make a case for them being in the top three, in my opinion. But Thayer was just mine because I think that he's the one that I'm most concerned about. Um, Harry Miller um, is a former five-star prospect, number seven on my list, um, that everybody's excited about in terms of his move into um, an offensive guard role. He was recruited as a center, and I think everybody is basically just kind of viewing him as already established. Because he's he, he is kind of like one of those can't miss players. It feels like, doesn't it? I don't know why. Um, he played yeah. a little bit as a freshman. Um, he has shown ability. His he's grown a lot since he come to college. I, I don't have any question whatsoever about whether or not he's going to be a good guard. I think he's exactly what Ohio State wants an ideal world at that position. But he's never been a starter, and I still think that like we're still in a position where we have to wonder whether or not he's going to get there. Um, and that's why he's lower on my list. But he's not. As much as it seems like a slam dunk, he has to do it. And until he does it, he's still going to land on this list. Uh, seven for me was Tyreek Smith we talked about. So let's move on to number six. Number six for me is seven banks. Um, and you might Same. Have... Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> seven banks is a um, – is it just goes without saying? You know, he's supposed to be the next in line as Ohio State's great cornerback. They lost – Jeffrey Okuda, Sean Wade is supposedly going to be stepping into that spot. Um, there it is. Like I don't know, I don't know how yeah, else that you can like, like stress uh, that enough. Se- seven Banks is going to be the Damon Arnett. So no one threw at Jeff Okuda because they were terrified to throw at Jeff Okuda. And I don't think Sean Wade. Sean Wade has not earned that yet, but I think it's possible he does earn that. Um, and if teams are just staying away from Sean Wade, they got to throw it somewhere. And maybe it's the slot with Marcus Williamson. I considered putting him on here, and I didn't. Um, but I think like that opposite corner, 
Seven Banks, Cam Brown, Tyreek Johnson works his way in there, is going to get a lot of work. And I believe that Seven Banks is like the next guy behind Sean Wade to to flirt with the first round draft pick. Um, and he's got to prove it this year because I think teams are going to attack them to to see whether or not you know the hype is is legit. Okay, I um, this is a boring one, and maybe I, should, I like misdid my list at five, but um, it was Sean Wade, just because his versatility in the secondary, him being the number one cornerback. Um, he is kind of playing a new position, so I guess you could rationalize it that way in terms of how does he adjust into going into the outside role. Um, how is it to be the captain of the defense? I, I know people might not have any questions about him, but I'm very excited to see whether or not he flourishes into something even better than it was last year. And I thought a year ago he was already good enough to be a first-round pick. So um, five there, I think it was just kind of an easy way out, but I think that he has to be represented on this list as he's making a position change. Yeah, I, I didn't put him on my list just because I think I think he's going to be solid. Um and I don't really have like questions about how good he's going to be, but I do think he becomes vastly more important if his role is not just Sean Wade's moving outside, but but his role becomes wherever we feel the most threatened by the opponent's passing attack. That's where Sean Wade goes, whether that's a slot, tight end, outside receiver, whatever. That's where Sean Wade goes, and I think that's possible because he's their best defensive back. Um, and then if that's the case. If he's just following number one wherever number one goes, then then he belongs in this certainly belongs in this list and belongs uh, deserves to be high up on the list. Gotcha. Okay, your five. Uh, my five is Pete Werner because Pete Werner is not going to come off the field. He's moving the will linebacker where Malik Harrison played last year. Um, it's a box linebacker position. It's not the sexiest position. It's all about um, getting your run fit right, being disciplined, not jumping over to gaps. Like I, I don't know if Pete Werner is going to make a ton of splash plays. Um, but I think he'll be in a position to like lead the defense and tackles. So he won't come off the field. Um, and I think in that sort of front six, seven kind of group, depending on what kind of defense they're, they're looking at, um, there's a lot of responsibility that's settling on Pete Werner's shoulders. He had a lot of responsibility last year, but this is different. Um, it's a role he's not played a whole lot. I think he'll be good in it, but it's it's a significant switch, and, and it's a switch that, that puts him – in a spot where if he's not good, like, we'll know. I think that you could put Pete Werner in the Sean Wade category of players. I don't know if that's too much um, yeah. praise. But if you if you kept Sean Wade and Justin Fields and guys off the list because they're too obvious and important, I think this is a compliment, not, not, a, not a hit at you, but a compliment to Pete Werner about him maybe potentially, maybe potentially are the same word, um, be in that category together with those guys. Yeah, I agree. And if he was just if he was just playing his normal Sam role last year, I don't think I would have put him on here. But his for some reason his move to me feels more significant than Sean Wade's move. Maybe that's the wrong way to view it. But it also like it totally reshapes the defense. Pete Werner moving to Will linebacker, putting putting Baron Browning at Sam and Justin Hilliard at Sam, and putting Josh Proctor in a position to like play a bullet role. Sometimes it yeah. changes a lot for the defense more than I think Sean yeah. Wade's move changes for the defense. So anyway, number four. Marcus Hooker is my number four, um, and for all the reasons that we spoke about on the last podcast, uh, we have a gifted center fielder with insane ball skills, um, just like his brother. Um, if they are going to rely on him in that new starting position, they're going to change the alignment of the secondary, which was one of the concerns that Ohio State had this year, and you're putting in a guy who you know, might be raw talent or, or all potential at this point. I think that the idea of a new person in that role is an exciting 
thing to think about. We talked a lot about this on the last podcast, but if he's going to be on the field as much as he's going to be, which maybe not, maybe wasn't as anticipated before last week as it is now with us, as it is now, um, that's how you land on the top five of this list. I'm excited to see what he has. I'm excited to see if he can have a breakout season. He might be a household name in the secondary in, in two or three weeks. You never know. I mean, this stuff happens so fast sometimes, and it happens so fast with his brother. And maybe I'm just like over hyping where to put him because his last name is Hooker. I, I don't know if that maybe that's a mistake. I thought about putting Trey Sermon in the top five, then I realized that running back might not be as important as it has been in the past. So he didn't make my list at all. Um, but you know, Hooker seems to be like a really interesting person to track now, and I thought that he was worthy of this spot. I wrote a little bit about Marcus Hooker on Sunday in the final thoughts column. Talked to his high school coach just to try to get like more of a feel for some of the stuff Matt Barnes was talking about, calling Marcus a, a center fielder, talking about his freakish ball skills. So um, if you want to learn more about Marcus, you can go read that story at theathletic.com slash 4-6. We'll get you $1 per month. I had I cheated. I put Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor like together as like That's one cheating. Thing. It is cheating. And I put them number two. Um, that position is – we've said it already, so it's, I apologize for harping on it. It's so important to what they do defensively. And – I don't know. You can describe Marcus Hooker as a true center fielder, and I think he might be that in the sense that he can make plays on the ball in, in a different kind of way than Jordan Fuller. I also think just from learning a little more about him that Marcus Hooker and Josh Proctor both are like very aggressive players and want to annihilate anybody who comes over the middle. And I just think Jordan Fuller was a little more measured than that. And because of that, they didn't allow those big plays to break through. If a running back got to the second level, like he stopped at the second level, he didn't break through for a 70-yard gain. And I think there could be more of that happening this year only because these two guys they have playing safety, Hooker and Proctor, like want to come up and, and let you out. And sometimes when you do that, you miss. Um, I think the balance with that is they'll make more plays. Maybe they'll cause more turnovers, get some more interceptions, or, or force more fumbles. And maybe you take that. Um but there's a lot on their shoulders, both of these guys, and and I think they're stepping into a major role on the back end of the defense, and I think they'll be good. Maybe there'll be some growing pains, but these are two guys, um, both of them. The free safety position, whatever you want to label it that way, is is very important to me going into this year, and and one of the things that, one of the things I'm most interested to watch because, again, if they're not up to the task, then you're going to have problems on the back end of your defense with teams hitting big plays on you. Yep. So okay. I them too. Uh, four. Or no, that was four. That was that four was my four. Okay, so I had Hooker and Proctor two, and my four is Nick Petit Frere, because um, I don't really have questions about Harry Miller, which might be crazy to say because he's a true sophomore; it's his first time starting. But like, he was anointed the starting left guard for 2020, like before he got on campus in 2019. It was kind of absurd the way they talk about Harry Miller. So. I'll buy all that hype and just assume that he's going to step into that role and handle it well and perhaps even be an upgrade over Jonah Jackson, who in his own right was very good last year. Um, Nick Petit, I'm a little less sold on, which might sound crazy given he's a five-star prospect, but um, he's had to work a lot to get up to the weight that he's at now where he can start. Um, I wonder a little bit just about, like, I don't know, like his mean streak. Um, I think he's very athletic. He's nimble. He moves really well. Um, but this is a line that like makes makes its money by running over people. And I'm wondering how Nick Petit might fit into that. 
and he's the offensive lineman I like kind of have the most questions about. It's not that I think he'll be bad, and again, it's mitigated a little bit by by the depth that they have if if something bad were to happen. Um, but he's the guy that I'm the least sure about up front. And he needs to have a good year to get this rushing attack going. Because I, I agree with you, I didn't put a running back on here because I don't, I don't, I think they'll be fine no matter who they put back there. But they could be fine no matter who they put back there if the offensive line does what I think it's going to do. And and Nick Petit is a major, major piece of that. Okay, well, I uh, didn't put him on my list at all, and that might sound crazy, um, but the reason why is because I think if things don't go well, they have a very natural replacement for him. And, you know, I think that depth also has to be um, part of the importance of of who you are and the reason why Togi I was number two and Thayer was number three. And I guess that's kind of contradictory a little bit because I think Paris could spell either of them on either side of the tackle. But the reason why I had Thayer there is because he's already proven that he could be an All-American caliber player. And if Ohio State gets another All-American on their offensive line, their offense will be high-flying. So – um, to me, the depth of the position is the reason why Tommy was two. Um, also, the reason why I might not have put him on my list, and I am pretty confident in his ability too, because stars matter. Um, number of the stars four. do matter. So my third was Thayer, and two was Togi. So now um, yeah. I have a slash at number one. Okay, my three was Wilson. My two was Marcus Hooker slash Josh Proctor, and I got a different guy at number one than you have. Okay, my number one is a slash because I I. Well, Justin Fields is the clear number one, but he's not on the list anymore. Zach Harrison's my number one. Me too. Um, Zach Harrison is uh, – I mean, you get it. <laughs> I mean, what, what am I going like, to say? Are, like, you, are, are you Nick Bosa? Or are you not <laughs> yeah, Bosa? yeah. I mean, it's, it's just – is the guy going to turn out to be the Chase Young, Nick Bosa type of player that's going to completely alter offensive game plans all by himself? And we have talked and talked and talked about how athletic he is. He's massive. He seems to have that mean streak on the field. He's the perfect package of a former five-star prospect of what you would expect this to be. And now for this defense, are they going to have that guy? It's as simple as that. Yeah. For all the things we talk about with the defense and like try to get nuanced with it, like with the with the safety position and Pete Werner's versatility and how good Malik Harrison was and Sean Wade being able to – like it, what it all came down to is teams were terrified of Chase Young last year. <laughs> and it changed everything they wanted to do. And are they going to be terrified of Zach Harrison this year? Yeah. And if they're not, I think it's okay because they could very well end up being terrified of Zach Harrison next year. But is he ready to make that jump now? And if he is, um, the ceiling for this team, which is already very high, um, I think even increases uh, somewhat considerably if he's that kind of player. And as you go down this list, Bill, when you think about a lot of the the players that we made on on these lists – the potential is off the charts. Like, even if six out of the ten players do what they need to do on this list, they go from being, like, an automatic playoff berth to the favorite to win the national championship. I mean, because I yeah. have a lot of, like, what what is Garrett Wilson going to be? What is Tyreek Smith going to be? What is Harry Miller going to be? What is Seven Banks going to be? What is Marcus Hooker going to be? What is Tommy Togiai going to be? I mean, think about that. Those guys are all, like, on the verge of being great but haven't done it yet. What if half of them become great? Right. I mean, it's scary to think about how good this team could possibly be. Now, Ohio State needs half of them to be great if they want to win a national title. But that's the uh, window through which we look at this team. So, you know, when I when I look at all these things and I see these names, I mean, we didn't we – didn't, I didn't have Wyatt Davis on my list. I didn't have Chris Olave on my list. J- Justin Fields didn't count on my list. Like, when you think about this, I mean, 
They've got a lot yeah. of really good players, man. And like yeah. I think when we were at the, this is I think a good way to end this podcast. But last year when Ohio State lost at the Fiesta Bowl and you and I did our podcast in that nice suite at that beautiful Marriott in Phoenix. Didn't it seem like Ohio State lost an opportunity to be to to do something with the team that they had? To me it almost felt like this was the team they had to do it with. And now all of a sudden I kind of feel like they have another chance at it. And I don't know when that switch flipped. And I think that, you know, we had a question on this podcast a while back about whether or not it's kind of overkill to pretend like this team could be as good as last year's. And I kind of agree with that a little bit because last year's team was like flawless to me. But during this Corona time or during the hype of this season, Ohio State has gone from moderately worse to the team that they had last year to a team that has an opportunity or the potential to do what last year's team did and even do better. And I think that that's an exciting thing if you're an Ohio State fan, reading these lists, thinking about the young players on this team, and and really trying to envision what the potential of this team could be if things come together the right way. Yeah, it did. Ohio State doesn't have windows, I don't think, because they just recruit so well that the windows basically always open as long as you have a quarterback, and they should for the foreseeable future. Um, but it did feel like something – obviously they lost last year, so something was lost, but it did feel like – that particular team was was something different than than what they were before and maybe what they'll be after for the next couple of years but then like ryan day comes out and calls this a once in a lifetime team and i'm like what are you talking about um with everything you lost last year but i also don't like ryan day is very measured in what he says and doesn't want to give anything away um and the fact that he said that like changed my mind a little bit and as we've talked in about a desperate this, moment maybe yeah as, as we've talked about this team like we've had nine different preseasons we've had a lot of time to sort of analyze all this and parse it out i do feel pretty good like uh, maybe there a lot of guys have to hit like there's a lot of ifs or like, or like what if this guy hits what if this guy hits what if this guy hits for them to truly match what they were especially on defense last year but like you said even if half of them hit they are plenty good enough on that side of the ball to win a national title and i do think even though you lose jk dobbins that this offense can take a significant step forward in 2020 so um yeah i don't I thought sitting in that room last year, too, that I would not feel as confident about their ability to win a national title this year. But I change, I've changed my tune on that. And it's the same group of teams they're going to have to get through to get there. So it's just as fun. Yeah. Breaking news from uh, from Jerry Emick at Ohio State. Big Ten announces kickoff time for October 31st at Penn State, 730 on ABC in an empty Beaver Stadium. That's going to be weird, man. Talk about a Halloween night. That's a weird. It's going to be so strange. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, we'll wrap up there. Um, before we go, want to alert you guys of something we're doing new at The Athletic starting this week. New podcast, new daily podcast with the Big Ten, the Big Football Show. And we're going to have like a 20 to 30-minute episode every day for you in that feed. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, the Big Football Show. Uh, I myself will be hosting on Tuesdays with Audrey Snyder, our Penn State beat writer, and will be mostly sticking to the Big Ten East, kind of the biggest storylines there, things we're interested in once the season gets rolling, the results that surprise us, things we're looking forward to for the week, players that are standing out, that kind of stuff. And, and obviously we'll follow you know, whether or not Penn State or, or Michigan could actually rise up and challenge Ohio State in the East Division. And then Ari, you are doing what on Fridays with Jesse Temple? We're picking games, man. That's <laughs> picking games. Natural habitat, picking games and and enjoying uh, the preview of, of the weekend. So it, it, I'm very excited as I look at the lines, seeing these Big Ten teams on there now. It's starting to feel like a real full college season. It did this past week. It, it seems a little odd that Georgia and Alabama have played and Ohio State hasn't played a game yet. But now that 
you know, things are starting to get into the swing of it. I'm excited to be on the podcast, uh, the Big Ten Show podcast. I, I guest on the Andy Staples Show every Friday. And then, of course, you've got me and Dollar B twice a week. So um, we've got a lot of stuff coming on the airways and super excited about how the season's going and the way things are going to be. The Big Football Show. Find it wherever you find podcasts. And it doesn't change anything about we're doing here, about what we're doing here on 4 to 6 with A&B. We'll still come to you guys twice a week, which means we'll talk to you later this week. We're going to give our picks for Ohio State versus Nebraska, the opener on Saturday at noon in Ohio Stadium. We'll talk to you guys later this week.